Episode 48 of the Juicebox Podcast is brought to you by Insulate, makers of the Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. This episode of the podcast is with Aaron Kowalski. Aaron's with the JDRF. He is the chief mission officer. Actually, he is the first ever chief mission officer. Aaron has a, uh, Aaron's got a good way of saying things in ways that I can understand them, which I appreciate. Because there are some letters after Aaron's name, but you don't hear them brought up very much. It's a P, an H, and a D. But when he talks to you, he sounds like uh, you and like me. So if you want to know what's going on in the diabetes world, where the focus is at the JDRF, talking about artificial pancreas, encapsulation, fundraising, everything. This is a great little sit down with Aaron, where he's going to talk to you and me about what's going on over there at the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I think you're going to love it. And uh, more importantly, it's really understandable because, uh, I don't know, Aaron's just got a way about him. I don't know what it is. Aaron Kowalski. Aaron, hey, it's Scott Benner. Hey, Scott, how are you? Good. You, uh... Missed the last five minutes while I was just waxing poetically into the microphone that your phone was busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad we could do this. <laughs> Me too. So I, because we're a little behind, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna jump right in, and I, and I'm gonna ask you my very first, very serious question. Sure. Are you a a person who has mind control? Do you know how to do um, what they call? Um, uh, do you know how to put people into a spell? What is it? Because everyone I speak to loves you. There's not even, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Even people who, before we even introduce Aaron, even people you meet who you're like, I hear great things about. Eventually someone will saunter up to you, kind of saddle up to the side and be like, you know, I got a story. It's not so great. Not you though. So what do you do? You give stuff away when you meet people? <laughs> you got candy in your pocket? I, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I uh, pay, pay heavily for, for positive feedback. <laughs> no, I, you know, you know how it is. I think, um, in this, in this world, uh, people are all looking for hope and looking for, you know, answers. And I think for the position, I'm lucky to have a, a unique position at JDRF where I get to meet, meet and work with a lot of small people and then, you know, tell other people about that. So I am able to convey progress and, and hope and um, work on a front line uh, and, and talk about what that's like. And it's exciting when you're living day to day, as you know, with diabetes, it's hard. Uh, so everybody's looking for hope, myself included, uh, as you probably know, my brother and I have type one and yep. I'm just fortunate to be in a unique position to, to be able to hear a lot of what's going on and, and participate in some of that and, and convey it out to the world, which I think is important. So I think what I'm hearing you say is there's nothing special about you. You just have a pipeline to great information that people want. I <laughs> am a conduit. I always say that I work with a lot of really smart people and I try to ride on those coattails, uh, get in the slipstream. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I've been married nearly 20 years. My wife come home, comes home from work a few weeks ago and she's like, I met Aaron at work today. He's delightful. And I was like, my, my wife hasn't said anything nice to me in like 10 years. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, Whenever I hear these stories, I, I try to convey them to my wife and say, hey, look at what people are saying. Come on. Honey, listen, uh, a lot of people who aren't you seem to like me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> All right, so now exactly, I, I exactly. feel less alone now. Okay, I got you. Uh, uh, so, 
good. That's so, good. So you are, I don't want to speak for you, but you have like a really, you have one of those titles that makes me think that you have a rocket ship somewhere. You're the chief mission officer um, and the VP of research at at the JDRF. Is that right? And what right. Is, and what right. That That's a, a new position. And people have said to me, that sounds very Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean? And I, what it means is, I am trying to be a kind of a, uh, a, a on the front line at JDRF in terms of how do we ensure that the research that we're doing is going to move as fast as humanly possible. And we always say that the ultimate metric for success is people with diabetes doing better, which means that it's more than just research. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was just down in Florida for, for, for uh, a few days last week talking about this. And for somebody to do better, it means that the research has to be translated into a drug or a device. It needs to be approved by FDA. It needs to be prescribed by a doctor. It needs to be reimbursed by payers. Uh, and then somebody does better. I, I, my brother and I have benefited significantly from CGM. You look at the United States, CGM is uh, used by about, the latest data is probably about 12 to 15% of people yeah, with type 1. That's terrible. And is I that, was just an, would you say yeah, that's mostly an insurance issue, or do you think it's a knowledge? Well, this is this is really interesting. I think there are a, a combination of factors. Part of it is insurance, particularly one of our top legislative priorities at JDRF is Medicare coverage for CGM. If you're over 65 in the United States, people who are most susceptible to severe hypoglycemia, it's not covered. It's crazy. Right. And that's definitely an insurance issue. But if you look at the rest of the U.S., we have an amazing coverage for CGM for most people. There's, there's you know, it depends on your insurance, mm-hmm. but it, 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 the data that I hear, it's well over 95% of uh, private plans cover CGM, okay. yet you have less than, say, 20% on CGM. And the question then is, why is it? And there are probably a number of factors. It could be that the devices... Uh, some people had neg- negative experiences with the first generation, and they're skeptical. Uh, some of them that I've heard, uh, I had a friend here in New York who's a very successful guy, um, uh, had severe hypoglycemia problems, and I, I asked him if he was using a CGM. He had never even heard of it. And you'd say, how's that possible? Right. Also, you know, in some clinics, they're not prescribing them. Mm-hmm. So. The chief mission, the mission, if the mission is cure diabetes and in the meantime do better, uh, better glucose, easier, uh, et cetera, well, it's it's kind of soup to nuts. It's making sure that the JDRF is funding and working in a way that has line of sight to people doing better. And that's JDRF, what we're doing. And I still am a scientist here and still work with the team on the science stuff that we do. But it's also the regulatory, the reimbursement, the policies. It's also other organizations like our number one partners, the Helmsley Charitable Trust. How do we work together effectively and make sure we're leveraging each other's activities? It's ADA, it's the doctors, it's the nurses. So I'm, I'm kind of out there working with our folks here at JDRF, but working out there saying, how do we all work together mm-hmm. um, as effectively as possible? And that, the mission, the mission is people, you know, curing diabetes until we get to a cure, helping people do better. I think that, you know, going back is over eight years ago, I remember saying to somebody, well, actually, it was probably right as Obama was coming into office. So right around seven or eight years ago, I remember saying to someone, if the JDRF never cures anything, 
look what they're doing in Washington for us. Like there are people in Washington who know about people with diabetes now that didn't before. And, and the JDRF has a lot to do with that. Like even just that is a portion of it. I don't imagine that a lot of people think about, you, you know, and, and to say that this is such a multi-pronged thing is such an understatement. You, you know, when um, I was speaking with Albert um, for, for an episode recently, and right. when we were talking about, in a perfect world situation, if this thing was figured out today, I forget exactly what we might have been talking about encapsulation. If it was today, mm -hmm. if all, all the lights mm -hmm. went off and it was done and it worked, he said it could still take a decade to get it up and running and out into the world. And then that's nothing to do with, you know, that's nothing to do with anything except for that's how the world works. And so if you guys yeah, can find a faster pace through that, that's a big I, deal. I think that's something that JDRF has been unfairly dinged for over the last few years. Uh, people have seen our research budget number go, numbers go down a little bit, and part of that's fundraising, but part of it is we are focusing more effort in Washington. And it's, it's you know, compared to our research budget, it, it, it's very, very small. But again, if, if the research never reaches you, then what's the point? What's the point? And and I think it's something when I talk out in the community that I that I talk a lot about that, for example, we uh, JDRF and Helmsley funded a project on a new infusion set, and I'm really excited about this. It's really cool, and infusion set technology hasn't evolved over the last decade or so. We have occlusions that are still common, and we funded a project with Beckton Dickinson BD to build a better set. And if you look at that process of what it takes, you know, this is a pretty simple thing to do, relatively speaking, is build a new infusion set. But it, it was about a four-year project, and it takes regulatory approval. It takes building manufacturing plants. It takes, you know, a number of steps before it reaches people. But all of these steps are important. And when I think of artificial pancreas systems, you know, being a near-term uh, solution, I, I don't call an artificial pancreas a cure, but it's certainly for I, I wear a pump and it's going to help me do a lot better. Uh, the, the amount of work that we've done, a tremendous amount of research, but now we've shifted to a phase where it's a lot of actually clinical trials and regulatory approval trials. And the team in Washington has been working a lot already on reimbursement issues because these systems will help people. But if you can't get them, it's, we're not done yet. So that, that, that is something that we have been trying to, to, to con convey to people that you are not benefiting from what we do unless you're benefiting. And, and, and that's more than just research. If you step back in time, I think people did think that there would be just a snap your finger cure. Right. And, and I have a lot of people talk to me. Almost every talk I give, people say there'll never be a cure. In fact, somebody just pointed out a blog that somebody wrote, JDRF isn't interested in a cure because companies make too much money off of diabetes. <laughs> and, 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 and first of all, that's, that, that's just crazy. You know, I don't understand that logic. We have a board that's made up of people with diabetes, parents of children with diabetes, and grandparents of children with diabetes. So to find uh, 30 plus people who, you know, are just trying to, who, who have a personal connection or trying to make companies money is, is a wacky concept. But, but, um, you know, the, the, the realization that whatever a cure is, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a, an amazing encapsulation device 
or a regenerative beta cell therapy that stops the immune system, uh, it's still going to need to be uh, delivered to to us, and a company is going to need to build that. I'm sure they'll so, charge for it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure they'll charge for it and find a well, way to make that, money. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, and yeah, there probably will be money involved, but that right, that's right. fine. I yes. think that's how how it works. That's how it works. And and there there is no conspiracy. Every one of these companies is looking. You know what's going to put us out of business. So if there, if there's something going to obsolete them, they're going to go to the next thing, and we need to keep pushing. So whether it's an artificial pancreas is going to you know eventually obsolete finger sticking, and then a smart insulin may are obsolete an artificial pancreas or an encapsulation. Each of these companies realizes that they're that, that there's going to be something next, and that they need to to drive as fast as they can to that. So all of that though hinges upon there's a pipeline here. And if the pipeline, each stage of that, from basic research to a company to regulatory approval isn't working, we don't meet our metric of people doing better until there's a cure and when there is a cure. So that's, that's how we're thinking about things. What do you think that, what do you think makes that thought pop into someone's head? Because like, I think the best I've kind of come up with is the idea that it really, it's not selfish. I mean, I want my daughter to not have type one too, like right away. Like I would like it to happen right now. Um, but it's difficult to sit and think, well, at least these things will make it better until that happens. And maybe it doesn't happen for her. Maybe she has a baby that, you know, has a baby that has type one diabetes. And then it's just, then there's the pill, the crazy pill 50 years from now that makes it go away. And is it just hard to be, feel personally satisfied by that idea, by forward thinking like that? Or do you think that it's just most people's lives when they're not business oriented to begin with? That's just not how our lives work. Like when I'm out of groceries, I go to the grocery store, there's more groceries. You, you know, like, like it's not, I never say to myself, six months from now, we're going to run out of groceries. I better start making a plan to go get it now. Like, I wonder, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's cause I, I know what you're talking about too. Like I see, I saw somebody banging around on social media recently, putting up some, graphic that they think is meaningful about like, no one's ever going to cure us, you know, because this is why they're getting rich off of it. And I, w I wanted to say to them, like, you know, trust me, if someone's hiding the cure at the company my wife works for, I'm pretty sure she'd be willing to go to jail to put it out in the public. So, you know, there's always going to be someone like you can't keep a secret like that. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah, no, I, I think it's, you're, you're, you're right. And I think the, you know, there's there. This you can name any disease state, and people feel this way. And part of it, I think, is uh, a feeling of depending on your life stage with diabetes, the the frustration that you feel. So the frustration may be, I was just with a family whose two year old was diagnosed, and you know they're running around. Uh, they are the unpredictable eaters. Uh, the glucose is flying up and down, yeah. and they're like, I can't believe our life has just changed. Uh, and, and this is traumatic. I don't want this there. And I, you know, I was reading your story and I'm sure you, you went through this. Everybody does. You may have somebody who has been doing this a long time. My brother has had diabetes for 38 years. Mm -hmm. We just, uh, uh, were together yesterday playing golf. It's so amazing. And, uh, New Jersey, it was, you know, 65 yesterday. I know. Mid -December, I live in New Jersey crazy. too. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it, was not, it was amazing. <laughs> and he said to me one day, this, this step back 10 years ago, he has hypoglycemia unawareness. Mm -hmm. And he said, God, I don't know if there'll ever be a cure, but just help me do better. Right. 
And his life stage is different because he, he had been had a seizure and had been in the hospital. And believe it or not, I had one of the founding moms of JDRF uh, get up at a talk a few years ago and say, I wish JDRF would focus more on complications these days and put more there. She was worried about her son who had had diabetes a long time getting complications. But, but part of that is where you are in your life with diabetes. Yeah. Part of it, I think, is when you live a day to day, it's hard to take a step back and say, are we making progress? Like I'm funding research, I'm raising money, I'm doing walks, I go to a, an event and I raise money. Has anything changed? And, you know, when you do a day to day, sometimes you feel like, well, it hasn't really changed a lot since, you know, you know my last time point. But Whenever I give a talk these days, I, I say, here's what our lives and the Kowalski house look, have looked like. Mm -hmm. When my brother was diagnosed, we did urine testing and two shots a day of pig and cow insulin. Now, you know, fast forward to today, we both wear pumps. We both use CGM. He has uh, uh, the share capability on his phone so his wife and my mom can see his numbers. Uh, it's a, it's, it's a completely different experience. And sometimes I think people say, well, the companies don't want to move because they're making money. That's a conspiracy across the board in medicine. Sure. But one of the things I said to folks last week when somebody asked me that very question, I said, okay, now how many of you have gone out instead of to uh, the movie theater and picked up uh, some popcorn and a blockbuster video recently? And they said, nobody. And I'm like, yeah, because they're not here anymore. Right. But you because still watch technology, movies. Yeah, we still watch movies. Right. You can download them on your, you know, your, your, your cable system or whatever. Meaning that if you don't innovate, that you go out of business. I mean, how many people use BlackBerry um, technology anymore? And I'm not trying to pick on these companies saying no, no, that no. they're, but it's, it's a. It it's, time it, came it, and went. If, if you do not innovate, you can go out of business. You know, a good example of this that we're excited about here at JDRF is glucose-responsive insulin. Yeah. And we funded a project uh, spun out of MIT called Smart Cells, and it was acquired by Merck. And a lot of people say, oh, Merck hasn't said anything about this. So, you know, are they shelving it? My, my answer is no. In fact, this has been a tremendous, it's not on the market. It's not helping us yet. Right. But if you look at the money that we funded there, what it did was it catalyzed a small biotech to be acquired by Merck. Merck has moved this into human clinical trials. Insulin is a big market. Yes, companies make a lot of money off of insulin. It keeps us alive. If we were born 100 years ago, I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. Right. But it's not a cure. A glucose responsive insulin where you don't get low uh, because it only works when your body needs it would be a transformative advance in insulin therapy. Unbelievable. You know, we have analogs, short acting, long acting. But what if the insulin only worked when your body needed it? Yeah. That would be amazing. I believe so. Now, Merck has moved this into human clinical trials. What that's done has catalyzed all of the other in insulin manufacturers to drive huge amounts of resources into trying to create a glucose responsive insulin. Because if Merck makes this and it works, it could obsolete every insulin on the market. Mm -hmm. So it's not like Sanofi, Novo, and Lilly are saying, yeah, you know, we're making so much money, we're just going to sit here and, you know, and watch the sunset. Everyone's They're pushing trying. because yeah. they know the next best thing is going to be um, a threat and a threat in a good way that it will help people in a better way. So we just announced a partnership with Lilly on this front and we're working with all the companies. We, JDRF, 
does not have a stake in any company. Right. We have a stake in the industry moving forward until we get to a cure. So this is an example of significant resources are now pouring in there. And if I talk out to people with diabetes, I say, do you consider glucose responsive insulin a cure? And I, I personally, I, I state that I don't. But if I had to do one shot a day and nothing else, what a big deal. Yeah. That would be a huge step forward. Yeah. So I, it, it is complicated. Uh, people do want an immediate solution to the problem wherever you are in your life stage with diabetes. But, you know, if I see the progress since my brother was, was diagnosed, 1977s, where we are now on the cusp of artificial pancreas systems, stem cell therapies in clinical trials, you talked to Dr. Y, Albert, uh, glucose responsive insulin is going into human trials. Amazing, amazing progress. Well, I, you know, you said something a minute ago that I wanted to try to relate to people to, where you're saying that companies have to continue to innovate, pay attention to technology, and keep moving forward. And I think that that's a good personal message, too, when you're living with diabetes. Like I, I always say you don't want to be the person who looks up 10 years from now and goes, wait, what are people doing now? Wait, I'm still doing right. it like this. And, and here's a great example. So we're talking in the middle of the day on a weekday. Arden has a sore throat. She stayed home from school today. And she slept in till 11 o'clock. So my daughter slept all morning without any intervention from me because I was able to watch her blood sugar remotely while I was downstairs getting ready to talk to you. And there was times when I thought her blood sugar was going to go a little low, so I restricted her basal insulin. It brought it back up. Her blood sugar was 100 from 7 a.m. until 11 a.m. 11 a.m. she gets up. She comes downstairs. I say, let's get you something to eat before I talk to Aaron. Okay. And she doesn't feel well. She doesn't want to put a whole lot of effort into it. We have this container of cereal that's generally used only when a low blood sugar hits a cereal moment at the same time, which is to say a box usually gets thrown away. It lasts a long time. We hardly ever touch it. And she points to it. Can I have this for breakfast? Cinnamon toast crunch, Aaron. Okay. So Arden ate cinnamon toast crunch an hour and a half ago and our blood sugar is 150 right now. And it's never mm. been higher than that. And I'll have it back down to where it was in another 20 minutes or so. That's all that technology. It's Dexcom. It's Omnipod. It's different insulins. I don't. You know, Arden doesn't use the same insulin as some people do. And it's and and that was us paying attention to how things were changing and saying. And I don't say change for the sake of changing, but when you see something that really works, I think you got to chase after it, like on a personal level. You, you, you know, you can't. Well, you, that, that's how I say it. I think you're exactly right. I was uh, meeting with some families who have supported diabetes research uh, in a tremendous way last week. And one of the fathers uh, that I met with who has a, a son in his early 20s, he, uh, he said to me, I hate artificial pancreas. I hate that you guys are doing it. I want a cure. And I said, I, I understand that. Of course, you know, I want a cure. I want a cure for my brother and all the people that I meet and, you know, for all people with diabetes. But here's how we think about it at JDRF. Everybody agrees upon the holy grail definition of a cure. We walk away. Unfortunately, we don't have all of the answers to get there yet. And I can't predict when that's going to happen. Right. We want it to be as soon as possible, but I'm not sure. For people wearing a pump and a sensor, artificial pancreas systems are going to transform their glucose levels. I wore one of these systems for a week out in the real world. I woke up every single day at about 110. Mm -hmm. Flat, perfect glucose every single night. And I said to him, listen, your son doesn't want to wear a pump now. And he was right there. I said, Derek doesn't want to pump right now. But 
you know, in the future, maybe he will. I didn't wear a pump when I was his age, and then I switched, and it's been helpful for me. I get that. But for those people who do, this is what their days are going to look like, and it's amazingly better. And the sensors are going to get much smaller to wear. And the technology is here. So for people today, until we have that holy grail, that's going to be a big advance. And then if you look at the medium term, you know, what are the things that we could do sooner than the holy grail? Again, we're pushing as hard as we can to get that to that walk away. But things like macro encapsulation or glucose responsive insulin, these aren't, you know, the holy grail definition. But when I talk to people, if I had to get a, you know, a macro encapsulation device, a little Band-Aid inserted under my skin for a year or two, like you talked to, to Albert about, and had normalized blood sugar levels, that's, that's amazing. So taking advantage of, of solutions that are here now, like CGM and pumping, uh, but driving towards better solutions is kind of strategically how we think about research these days, because we do want people to be as healthy as possible when there is a cure, yeah. and we don't want all of the work. Okay, before Aaron gets back to talking about the artificial pancreas, we're going to have a word from our sponsor, Omnipod. This is just from my personal experience, but when the time comes for you to look for an insulin pump, you know, your doctor is going to have their favorites, stuff they're comfortable with, stuff they have good relationships with companies about. That doesn't necessarily mean because they're comfortable with the pump that this is the right pump for you. And you need to really, you need to go through insulin pumps and decide, you know, what's right for me? It's what we did. You have to put your hand up and say, I hear that you want me to use this one because that's the one the practice uses, but I don't want the tubing. Or I'd like to be able to leave a pump on while I'm swimming or while I'm taking a shower. I don't want my son not to have insulin while he's playing football. I don't want my daughter not to have insulin while she's playing soccer. And the only way I can really accomplish this is with a tubeless insulin pump with the Omnipod because this thing stays on constantly. I'm always getting the insulin that I need. Some people say, oh, it's no big deal to disconnect sometimes, but it is, you know. You get involved in a sporting event, your adrenaline goes up. Your When your adrenaline goes up, your blood sugar goes up. You need insulin. You can't be connecting and disconnecting and all this stuff. It's crazy. So when the doctor tells you, hey, this is the one for you, say, no, no, no. Omnipod's the one for me. I want an Omnipod. All right, look, you can't take my word for it. You need to get one for yourself. You want to go to myomnipod.com forward slash demo. They're going to send you a non-functioning pod. It's a just a demo pod, so you can stick it on, see how it works, and decide to yourself, hey, you know what? I think this is right for me. And next time when I go to the doctor's office, I'm going to stick up for myself. I'll be a little advocate for myself and for my child. A good bit of you are listening in a podcast app, so just touch the... Touch the artwork and it'll flip over to the show notes and there's a link right there. You touch it and you'll go right to the demo pod. Uh, or if you're listening on the blog, there's a link there too. You really can't go wrong. In the end, if you have to type it in yourself, myomnipod.com forward slash demo. I mean, one of the interesting things on artificial pancreas having that, that been my primary focus over the last eight or nine years has been when you talk to people who wear these systems, uh, particularly now that they're doing outpatient trials with them. I just spoke to a woman who wore it um, in an extended trial, and when she had to give it back, it, it sounded devastating to her, honestly. Yeah, and, yeah. and one of the things you hear from these folks a lot is part of it is glucose levels, but a lot of it is just less worry, less fear, less you know, moods, the work. Uh, the, the emotional side of diabetes is hugely important, as you and all of your listeners <laughs> incredibly appreciate. Uh, 
And if we can help on that until there is uh, or are other options that are better, I think that's a good thing. Uh, and I, when, I, when I was out with my brother yesterday, I was looking and he used to be militantly anti-pump um, and, you know, and then switched, you know, after wearing a CGM for a while. And it's been really incredibly helpful to him. And I said, man, I can't believe that we're going to have these artificial pancreas systems. It could be as soon as 18 months from now. And uh, it, it was just cool. I mean, it was cool to be able to talk about that. And for him. And for me, that's going to be a great advance until we get to some of these cellular approaches. Tell me, um, my my wife says when she heard you speak, you were talking about artificial pancreas that did not include glucagon. She said it seemed to her like you thought that was a good idea. But could you kind of talk about that? Sure. So we have funded, and I uh, I've led this initiative for many years, and we have a team now who work on it at JDRF, the artificial pancreas work that we've done. And this is a question I get a lot, which is do you need glucagon in an artificial pancreas? And the answer is no, you don't. Uh, and we're going to see the first systems uh, are going to be insulin alone artificial pancreases. Well, uh, it's public that Medtronic is uh, in a clinical trial for FDA approval. And then you have Animus, you have Bigfoot Biomedical, you have Tandem, you have Insulate, you have Roche, all working on uh, systems and that's all public and that's exciting, but they're all insulin alone. Mm -hmm. And when we do the studies, uh, insulin alone systems work. There's no doubt about it. They work very, very well. Lower high blood sugar, reduce your risk of lows. Uh, they work fantastically. And it depends on where your A1C is. If your A1C is 8.5, it's going to have a bigger effect on the A1C. Sure. Your A1C is 6.2, it's going to have a bigger effect on hypo and your workload. So the question then becomes, well, what about glucagon? And we, uh, we JDRF, have funded a lot of work on this, and there may eventually be uh, glucagon systems, but there are some big questions on the table. And I'll just very quickly, because a lot of people ask me about this, that the questions that I have and our team talk about. Firstly, the question is, and, and the analogy that's often used, I was just with one of the investigators that we fund on this topic, and he used this in his talk, uh, a guy named um, Dr. Remy rabassa Lore. He's from McGill up in Montreal, and he, we're funding him to do insulin and glucagon. In his talk, he said, would you drive a car without a brake? And people will say, well, of course not. You wouldn't drive a car without a brake. That would be crazy. And, and that's the analogy that, that it's often used, whereas insulin is uh, the gas pedal that glucagon's the brake, mm -hmm. and that's how the body normally does it. My concern in that logic is, would you? How fast would you drive? Well, so we're both New Jersey guys, mm -hmm. and the joke, and you know, the outside people who don't understand, the New Jersey is a beautiful place, but the joke is the Jersey Turnpike, you know. So, would you? How fast would you drive on and stick your road of reference wherever you are in the world uh, if the brake failed 10% of the time? And if you were on the highway and you knew one in no one in every 10 times you press the brake that it wouldn't work, how fast would you drive? Mm -hmm. And Certainly, you wouldn't drive 65 miles an hour. That would be dangerous because you might crash into somebody. We know that infusion sets don't always work. And the data we have from our infusion set project is you may not get occlusions every time, but that the infusion through the set is probably abnormal about 10% of the time. Mm 
So if you have a glucagon that's not, if the brake isn't always breaking, you've got to be careful. So that's a big question. A lot of the studies that we've been funding have been looking at that. The second thing is if glucagon, insulin is missing in your body. Glucagon isn't. It's what we call dysregulated. Mm -hmm. It's not getting the right signals, the pancreas, the alpha cells that make glucagon aren't getting the right signal. Unfortunately, we don't make glucagon when we need it most, when we're low, but a lot of times during the day, the pancreas is actually making glucagon, and in fact, it can be making excessive amounts of glucagon. I ran the New York City Marathon last year. Right. You measured my glucagon versus other runners who don't have diabetes in the race, I'm probably making more than they are. That's interesting. So... That's another question, and we know from FDA that FDA is going to want what we call chronic use studies because you're adding glucagon on top of glucagon, yeah. and the question is, well, is that, is that a good thing? Right. Uh, finally, there's just some of the pragmatic issues. JDRF has been funding, and Helmsley, you know, I mentioned Helmsley is our number one partner, right. and they've been doing amazing work with us on this project. Uh, we need liquid glucagon. Everybody has a powdered kit in their refrigerator, hopefully. Uh, it's powder because it's not very stable uh, glucagon in liquid form. So if it's not stable and it's not approved by FDA to be in a liquid, we need a liquid. So the, it, it, there are, Glucagon may add value in artificial pancreas studies. We funded a lot of work. We funded Dr. Damiano in Boston. We fund Dr. Rabasa Lore in Montreal, another um, amazing group in Portland uh, led by a doctor named Jessica Castle, trying to work through these questions. But I do think it's important for people with diabetes to understand the insulin alone systems will work. Uh, the final thing I'll say is you know, look at Bigfoot Biomedical. If the, your listeners haven't looked up Bigfoot, you know, this is an amazing story of a guy in New York City who hacked together an artificial pancreas for his wife and son. Mm-hmm. And he's Bigfoot. His name is Brian Maslish. And he's a good friend of mine, and I've, I've known him for many years. His wife and son have been on an artificial pancreas that he built himself, Dexcom sensor, Medtronic pump, cell phone. Uh, for three and a half years now okay, with only insulin. His son's gluca- uh, A1C is 5.8% yeah, with almost crazy. no hyperglycemia. And, and without so, all the extra work and the stress and the... Like my daughter's A1C right, is... Right. I think it's been between 5.9 and 6.2 for the last two years. But the amount of effort that that takes for yep. me is... It's hard to put into words, actually. And so... It's amazing. And then I guess kind of the point that I made about when you hear people talk about this, if you read... Um, Brian's wife, she wrote a blog on Diabetes Mind about this, and her name is Sarah Kimball. And I actually pull from that blog because I find it so interesting when I give my talks. Most of the verbiage and language is about the burden, what you're talking about, all of the work and how it's less because they both have tight glucose control, but they work a lot less for it now. And I think that's it. So insulin and glucagon, could absolutely be a solution in the future, but insulin alone, just because of these pragmatic research and development questions, will probably um, take longer, the glucagon side of the story, and the insulin side will be very, very effective. Yeah, no, that, that's exciting. I've actually been meaning to reach out to them, so that's it's exciting for you to say that because it, it puts it back on the top of my head. 
very early on in our conversation, we talked about where people are in their life with diabetes and how that changes their focus from what they kind of want back from JDRF. And it occurred to me when you were saying it, I didn't have a chance to say it at the time. I think the, the interesting issue that you're having is, is the people who are most motivated to go to a walk or try to raise money are people who are newer diagnosed and parents too, you know, like, like parents of children who have just been diagnosed. I know for me, my daughter was diagnosed. One of my first thoughts was, well, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher. I'm not a doctor. There's nothing I can do to affect this. Let me go find somebody who can and see if I can't support them. But at some point that sort of, that feeling burns out at some point, you know, I mean, for five years, I, I, I think we raised about $50,000 in her first four and a half, five walks. And that was a big deal for us. Like it was, was not easy to do. And it was a lot of hustling and it was like having a full-time job raising that money. Um, and at the same point, what I wanted from like, like you're saying, like what I wanted was I wanted to hear about a cure. Um, and, and so how do you think that it affects, how hard is it to keep people motivated to helping to help the JDRF when their when their focus changes and they suddenly aren't that worried about a cure anymore, like like how do you get those people involved and and is that a difficulty for you guys that that you're addressing? Well, we, we yeah you you've hit a, a really important point and for us it is important because I I always say again we we started with what is chief mission officer and and one of the other things that I uh, have been focused on is getting more people involved. Mm-hmm. And people can play a critical role in so many different ways. And there are so many people out there who've gone through this kind of evolution that you describe, which is that their children get older, they, they, they get tired, uh, and they, they don't stay involved. And we talk about fundraising, and obviously JDRF raises money to support research, and I think that's critical. But to me, it's, it's much, much more than that. It's about the network. It's about you brought up our government um, advocacy for funding the special diabetes program. That's $150 million of a year where people didn't have to write a single letter. What they did is actually advocated to their Congress people. And that's been critical in moving a lot of the exciting science that we're talking about. It's, It's about policy. And one of the big things that we, we worked on back in the day was CGM uh, coverage for, for uh, insurance coverage for CGM. Okay. That's a lot of policy work. Yeah. One of the greatest success stories in our CGM advocacy was one of the major payers was not going to cover CGM, and we couldn't get through to their support team, the team that was the kind of the decision-making team. And one of our volunteers uh, uh, was able to connect us with the CEO. And she said to him, we don't want you to just snap your fingers and make a decision. Just listen to the data and have your team where we can't get through them. Boom. And they actually made a very positive coverage decision. And, and it's, it's a long-winded way of saying the more people we have involved, the faster our progress is going to be. So the question is then, how do you keep people involved? And the, the couple of things that I, I see, I, I, I think my brother is a kind of a good example of this, where he, his faith kind of wavered, so to speak. And then CGM came along, and JDRF had played such an important role in CGM, it got him interested. He said, okay, well, I would love a cure, but now I'm not getting low as much, and that's meaningful to me. And he got, he got re-engaged. He said, okay, if, you're gonna, if you guys are going to focus on some things that are meaningful to me, then I, I, can, I can understand that. 
The other thing that I think I hear from a lot of adults, you know, if I talk to adults with type 1, they'll say, ah, you know, I don't want to talk about my diabetes. I don't want it to define me. And I often say to them, it's more than just you. If you look at the genetics of type 1, if you have type 1 in your family, every other family member is at a significantly increased risk. And this is not just the other kids. It's even the parents. I have a good friend who was uh, involved for many years, over 20, with a son who's now an adult with type 1. And he was just diagnosed a few years ago at 62 with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, I just talked to him. And I told that story this week. And a mom got up and said, I was uh, diagnosed, in, in her, she was in her 40s, four years after my daughter. So, so prevention is a big area of focus of JDRF. Yeah. And we have not only, it's more than just you. I think, and when I, 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 I see, you know, my risk for my kids being elevated, the risk for my brother's kids, the risk for my siblings' kids, but I also see the families out there and I, I see adults with diabetes who could make a big difference and they're saying, well, I don't want it to be all about me. I, I just spent the week with um, a family, families with young children with type 1. Right. I mentioned the two-year-old. You know, so I think it's about keeping people engaged and saying, you know what, however you're involved, whether it's, you know, what you're doing, getting the word out, talking about it, talking about advances. That's hugely, hugely important. It's not fundraising. It's, it's awareness. Yeah, and you it's can help without, information. You can help without you, holding a sign up over your head that says, I have diabetes. There's, there's plenty. Yeah, and, and how absolutely. Do, how do people do that? Because I'm going back now a number of years, but when I got to that like five-year mark, which would have put it around 2001, I called my local chapter and I said, listen, I feel like I've reached out to my base as much as I can. I feel like I cannot ask these people for money again. What should I do now to keep moving? And to be honest, they didn't have an answer for me. They were just like, they actually said, we see this. This happens. You know, you're coming up on the time where people usually stop walking. And I'm like, well, I don't want to stop walking. You know, and I'm like, that's not what I want to do. Because to your point, and it's a quick story, but I remember going to the first walk. You know, Arden was diagnosed in August and our walk was in October. So to to say that we were new to diabetes, is it was less than two months. And I remember going off to the side in this park to test her blood sugar. I didn't know what I was doing. I remember thinking how insane it was that they were giving away soft pretzels at the walk. And I was like, no, why would someone do that? And, and so, and so I'm testing her blood sugar. She's two years old. It's freezing cold outside because it is not the new, um, uh, global warming world that we live in now. So it was freezing cold in October. And the thing that I drew the most support from that day was watching hundreds upon thousands of people stream by me and not look at me like I was doing anything odd. And, right. and, and boy, that helped me a lot. And even now, we, when we go now, I think of it as I hope someone sees our family just living and thinks maybe that can happen for me someday. Like where these people are not walking around thinking about diabetes, they're just walking through this park. And, but so how do you, you know, if, if I'm at that spot where I'm an adult and I, and I want to help more, or I'm a family who's at the end of their ability to ask their dentist for $100, you know, like wh- what do I do next? And, and is my local chapter the best place to go? And are they better equipped now to answer that question than they were years ago? I think they are much better. This is something that we're working really hard to address and provide people options. So we have challenge events now. This has been big for us. I mentioned I run the New York City Marathon. and I, This year was my sixth in a row running with Team JDRF. 
We have these cycling um, 100 mile, and you can do shorter as well. Getting people engaged in things that are interesting to them. We have young leadership uh, uh, groups. I had um, a family that I met in Florida, and they just uh, they have their uh, type one child up here who's 23 in New York City. And there's an amazing young leadership group where they network, they hang out, they tell stories. And it makes me want to be be young, and it looks a lot. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh, so I think it's the appreciation that there are people at different stages want different things, and need different things and different resources. And I think the chapters are better equipped with different types of events. You know, the different options to get involved, whether they're maybe you know helping us on the government relations and policy side of things, which is different than fundraising, but hugely helpful. Um, Ultimately, again, the mission is moving all of this forward. And the more people we have getting engaged and seeing the value of JDRF as a organization that cares about type 1 people. I mean, that's what we're all about is moving the needle on type 1 as fast as as, as we humanly can, no matter what stage of diabetes you are. So I'm hugely committed to trying to get more type 1 people involved. I think we can make a big difference. 85% of people with type 1 in the United States are adults. Now, type 1 people, fortunately, grow up and can do amazing things. And many, many people do. And we need to get more of those folks involved. Yeah, especially because, I mean, online, I think the the research I've seen is that I think diabetes is the number two most well-represented disease online, I guess, but but then you're you're talking about the real world though, you not just through your computer. Like and, and and that is sometimes a challenge. Like, you know, and and what you just said I think is really valuable for people to hear. Once you get to wherever you're going and you meet all these people who are living your life, you know, it, it is going to be a really comforting and and actually fun environment for you to be in. And uh I I'm not like I'm not the kind of person who you would assume would feel that way, and that has been my finding. You, you, you know, I am I'm usually a little more, I don't know how to put it exactly. Probably people who listen to this wouldn't think of me this way, but I'm a little gruff, and I'm not interested in being around a ton of people all the time. But every time I've been around people who are advocating or living with, it feels like old, old home week. Like I guess there's no other way to say it. Like it is very well, it, comforting. It, it is. I think you're exactly right. I think one of the things we've really worked on our walks to um, highlight, I think, a component of what you're talking about, and I think it's a really amazing component, uh, is the the people with type 1 get special treatment, you know, a special shirt and uh, tent and and all of this stuff. And it reminds me of uh, going to the Children with Diabetes. Jeff Hitchcock is is a good friend, and mm-hmm. and we partner with those guys at CWD and the Friends for Life. And the people with Type One wear green bracelets. And I was just talking to Jeff about this uh, a week ago. And having that feeling where you're you know at the pool at Friends for Life or at the JDRF walk, and you're the cool one. You know, everybody else, you're like, oh, look at that guy. He doesn't have a green bracelet or he doesn't have this shirt. You know, you don't, it, it is so meaningful or at the ride or we have at the marathons, you know, that, that is, it's, it's, it's impactful for the person with type one. It's impactful for their parents and their loved ones. And, you know, this community, uh, what you do and what others, uh, and, and I think JDRF, uh, you know, I'm proud to be here because of this is trying to keep this community you know feeling good, appreciating we can live diabetes without limits 
and we can work together to drive to a day where there is no type one that's diabetes. A, I mean, it's a beautiful thought. It really is. Um, well, Aaron, you are fantastic to do this. And I know I've pretty much taken you about 20 minutes past the time we've scheduled to do this. And, and thank you very much. I, I appreciate you not acting rushed and being, you know, looking over your shoulder. Um, I do, I guess I, I, what I want to say to you is that, that, you know, I found the JDRF at a time when, uh, like I told you earlier, I just didn't know what to do. I find like, I feel like a lot of people are in that space and I was just really appreciative that it was there. Whether you guys end up being something that I look, you know, I look at and I say, well, look what they do in DC. Look at this research. Thank God they backed this technology. And, and I do have all those feelings. I and mean, we didn't really talk about it too much, but encapsulation to me seems like the most real world science I've ever seen. Like it, it, like the, the, the components of it are things that exist right now. That makes me really excited. It's not like you have to invent something else to make it work. And, um, I'd be thrilled to take my daughter into a doctor's office incrementally and have, you know, these cells like swapped in and out again. I, I think that would be amazing. Um, so I appreciate that it's there. I appreciate how much effort you put into it. And to bring it back to the beginning, I appreciate that there's somebody at, at the top who who is so engaged and that when, I, when they meet people, those people walk away feeling good. So that's not always the case. And, and you're doing a great job. And, and I really appreciate it. I'm sure other people do, too. But but thank you very much. No, well, thank you for all you do. And, uh, you know, we're all in this to try to move the needle. And somebody said, move the needle, remove the needle uh, to me last week. And that's right. I think it's a, it's an amazing community. I always say to people who are newly diagnosed that it's the club nobody wants to join. But you'll find that there are some amazing, amazing people out there. And you've been a tremendous champion and we appreciate that. And I'm sure your daughter is incredibly appreciative. Uh, She's <laughs> I 11. Saying, I don't know how to kids, tell that. <laughs> kids, kids sometimes don't show it. But uh, last year, we walked the New York City Marathon, and it was with my parents. And I said to them, you know, my, my brother and I, after all these years, I mean, we're incredibly grateful for all they did for us to help us grow up and uh, provide us the, the inspiration and resources. And uh, and be champions for us with, with as kids with diabetes. And you're a tremendous champion. And there, you know, this community is amazing. And we're going to get there. And I'm proud of the role JDRF will play um, in that. So thank you for the kind words. Thanks for having me on. This has been great. Uh, I, I enjoy it. Hopefully, we'll cross paths in New Jersey. Yes. And uh, do it again sometime. Well, that, that's beautiful. I thank you so much, Aaron. I, I really do appreciate your time. All right, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Let me apologize up front. Basil's over here snoring in the background, but I got to talk to you for just one more second. You're going to want to go to jdrf.org to find out more about the JDRF. I mean, there is a ton of information there about research and support, your advocacy, walks, bike rides, everything. jdrf.org. Also, let's thank again Insulate, makers of the Omnipod, for supporting the podcast, myomnipod.com forward slash demo, or the links in your podcast player or online. Let's listen to Basil snore for a minute. It's important to note he is over 30 feet from me. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please leave a rating and a review in iTunes. And more importantly, tell a friend. I could just listen to Basil snore all day, but I'll be back next week with another show. Until then. <laughs>